series right now called Good Trees. And we're looking at how do we make the tree good? We wanna be good trees. We want to be trees that produce good fruit and like Jesus talks about when he was talking about the vine and the branches, fruit that will last, fruit that will remain. That is what uh, that we're, we're trying to become, good trees that produce good fruit that will last. So we're using kind of as the motivation for the series this passage from Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and and the teachers of the law, and he says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of? A good man brings good out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So we wanna be a church of people who are good trees producing good good fruit from the good that is stored up in us. So so that's one of the motivations for Sunday mornings, motivation for spending time with God throughout the week and and praying and reading your Bible and, and making sure that you're saturating your heart and your mind, your soul and your life with God's word and God's truth so that God's truth reigns supreme, so that God's truth is what comes to mind first and foremost and we're, and we're not listening to the lies of this world and the lies of the darkness that would seek to deceive us and get us off track. So we need to be filling ourselves with good so that the fruit that our lives produce is good fruit, not the bad fruit. And so are we good trees and producing good fruit? And part of the way that we're, that we're looking at producing good fruit is coming from our, our main passage, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. And this is that passage. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." So those qualities right in the middle of of this passage from verse five through seven are the qualities that we're looking at to to be producing and growing and increasing in our lives in increasing measure, the word he uses, so that we are producing good fruit, good trees producing good fruit. And that's one of the reasons we do something like the block party is so that people of the community will come in and they will experience you. They will interact with you and they will have uh, interactions and conversations and time rubbing shoulders with you, just having fun and that they will experience that you are a good tree producing good fruit and that they will be drawn to Christ in you 
and want to be a part of what God is doing. Someone just asked, what version do I read from, a version of the Bible? It's the ESV, the English Standard Version. If you'd like to uh, be in the same translation, uh, you can use that one. But now to my question, has anyone ever been caught doing something as a kid and blamed someone else? I got one, one person uh, said, I got caught shoplifting at 11 years old and blamed my friend. I was believed and she got in trouble. Total anonymity, I have no idea who you are. So uh, <laughs> someone just texted, I came, I came to this church because of the block party in VBS, so uh, we have people here who are here as a result of that. But um, we've all probably gotten caught doing something as a kid and tried to blame someone else. We may not be able to remember it, it may not stand out. It's even worse though as we grow up and are adults when we're doing something wrong and then we blame someone else for the reasons that we list. You know, we, we've done something wrong, we've made, a, we've made a mistake and the excuse that we give is not, well, I messed up, I did something wrong, I did not do what I was supposed to do. The reason that we give is a lot of times well, it was someone else's fault, or it was this situation's fault. Well, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have acted this way, or if this didn't exist in my past, then I wouldn't be prone to act and react and act out in this way now in the present. So we have oftentimes, I think, a lot of excuses that we can use, a lot of blame that we can put on to other people and other things and other situations in our past and everything around us for why things aren't going right or why things aren't going like we think they should be, or if someone asks us why things aren't working, then we have a lot of reasons and excuses. We blame shift, right? And that's a big part of what our culture is like when we get into that in just a minute. The reason I'm talking about pushing off blame to others, and I'm guilty of doing the same thing, I don't always want to take blame for my mistakes. My mistakes. I don't want people to look at me when I fail. It would be nice if when I fail, people would just kind of divert their eyes and look to others, right? Like, okay, I messed up. Well, it wasn't really my fault. It was their fault. If they hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have had to do this. Or, you know, if they had done what they were supposed to do, then I wouldn't be looking bad right now because I'm trying to make up for their mistakes. And the real reason that I look bad is because they are bad. You know, that's, that's kind of how a lot of our lives work. And, uh, but the reason we're talking about that is because this week we're talking about the idea of self-control. We've talked about the others. We've talked about making every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and so we have to make effort, we have to work at supplementing our faith with virtue, and virtue is that, that idea of moral excellence, you know, supreme moral excellence, being the very best that you can possibly be in the area of virtue, honesty and integrity and so forth. And then we make every effort to supplement our virtue with knowledge. And last week we spent quite a bit of time talking about knowledge, how, how we need to know God. And if we know God and we know his voice and we know his truth and we know his promises that he's talked about in the previous ver verses, then we're going to be able to, to discern what the right thing to do is or what the right direction to head is. If we know the truth, if we know the promises, his precious and very great promises, we have a better shot of going in the right direction and being a people of virtue. And then this week we're looking at self-control. Make every effort to supplement your knowledge with self-control. Well, let's look at a couple other verses that use this phrase self-control so we can kind of get a, a biblical understanding of what the idea of self-control is. First one is, Galatians 5.22, it's another list, so it doesn't give us a lot of definition. 
but you've probably heard this one and more familiar with this one. It's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what's produced in your life after you come to Christ, and the Spirit is wanting to, to grow this fruit in our lives, so it's a very relevant passage. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, so there's self-control. Here's another passage. We're going to come back to this one a little bit later. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. We don't have these verses up here. I hope, because I don't have the next two. Second Peter, or Second Timothy, verse uh, chapter three. Let's go to the next one. Next one. There we go. Um, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Among these people, the people who are are a part of this list, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. You know, our culture, we're always learning. You know, we have more information at our disposal now than we ever have. We, We have in our hands, in our possession, the ability to know a lot of things, but we're always learning, always learning, always learning, and we never, for some reason, possess the truth. Why do you think that is? Let's pray, and uh, we'll continue on. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word, and I pray now through the power of your spirit, alive and active and at work in this place and in each and every one of us, that you would speak your truth to us, that it would be your words that ring loud and clear this morning, that it would not be me who uh, speaks, but that you would speak to all of us and that you would tell us what we need to hear so that we would be able to live our lives in accordance with your word when we leave this place in just a few short minutes, overcome the inadequacies of this present, uh, presentation and my, uh, my speaking, and, and through the power of your spirit, speak truth into each of our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Self-control, this is, you know, the first few are kind of a little bit easier to deal with, right? Add to your faith, well, we talked about faith, faith in Christ. We gotta start with faith in Christ, you gotta get that question right. If we don't answer that question right, then we might as well stop and not worry about the rest of it. So we gotta start with faith in Christ, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid the ransom for my sins, sins that I committed, that I deserve to pay the price for, the penalty for, he paid them on the cross with his own life, with his own flesh and blood, and then he died, 
and resurrected from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave, so that now that means that we too are conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are now conquerors. So we have to, we have to start with faith, and that's, that's kind of the normal one we're used to starting with. We, we want to start there, starting with faith, and then add virtue, okay? Moral excellence, that's good for us. We kind of have an understanding of moral excellence, you know, the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, worship God, worship God alone, you know, keep the Sabbath, honor His name, don't lie, you know, don't cheat, you know, those kinds of things. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Let's, let's, let's move on. Supplementing our virtue with knowledge, that's kind of a good one too. Well, I can just study God's Word and I can let God's truth soak into my life and I can absorb it and so, you know, so that's easy. But then we kind of turn a corner here and it's going to get a little bit more challenging from this point forward because now we're looking at, at actually putting in some work. Self-control requires a little bit, if not a lot of bit, of effort. We have to make a lot of effort to be self-controlled people. What is self-control? Self-control is mastering your desires and passions, especially sensual appetites. Mastering your desires and passions. Would we be able to say this morning that we're the masters of our desires and passions? Well, we probably all have some work to do when it comes to the area of self-control. We all have some work to do when it comes to you know, making sure that we're making good decisions with our life. But, but see, self-control, we're turning a corner. It's not just learning ideas and concepts and, and trying to, to make sure that our life is consistent with it. Now we have to actually be controlled. We have, to, we have to work hard at being self-controlled. And I want to talk about this just a little bit, just briefly, and then, and then try to illustrate it for you. Because it is a bit of a paradigm to grasp. It's a big, it's a big concept. If we can get it, it'll, it'll help, I think. But self-control is both a divine power that God has granted to us as well as a virtue we have to exercise and strengthen. Self-control is both a divine power that God has granted to us. Let's go back and let's look at that. For, uh, verse 3 of chapter 1 here at 2 Peter. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So if, if self-control is a part of what is required to be godly and to live this life that we're supposed to be living for God's glory, if that's something that's a requirement, then it is something that God has granted to us. His divine power has given it to us. So it's a gift. It's been granted. We have it at our disposal. But as much as it is this gift, it is also a virtue that we have to exercise and strengthen. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your knowledge with self-control. See, the granted, the, the gifting part is what God has done, but then there is the reciprocal action that we have. We have to make effort to supplement our knowledge, to supplement our faith, to supplement our virtue with self-control. And if we do these things, if we, if we put into practice the promises that he has lived out, then we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. I would like to escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire and be a partaker of the divine nature. I want to be someone whose life represents the divine qualities of God alive and active and at work in me through the gift of Christ on the cross and the Holy Spirit in us. 
I would like to be someone who, who partakes in that divine nature and not in the corrupt nature, the fallen, broken, sinful nature that is in the world because of sin. So the gift part sounds really good, right? It's, it's, a, it's a gift. It's, God has granted it to us because it's what's, if it's required for life and godliness, he has given it to us. But the effort part is kind of where I get stumbled up a little bit, like a lot of bit. It's hard to always be self-controlled, right? I mean, let's be real. It's, it's, it's a challenge to always be in control of yourself. We get tired, don't we? We get tired, and when you're tired, it can be hard to be self-controlled. Apparently, there's an app for that. That's what someone just texted in. <laughs> uh, at least self-control on your phone and computer. So, you can be self-controlled on your phone and computer, and you can blame the app if it goes wrong. So, um, but it can be a challenge to be self-controlled, right? The, the promise part sounds good, but when the effort is on me, then, well, I would rather not. But it's something that we're supposed to make every effort to supplement our faith, virtue, and knowledge with. There's work we have to do. It's an effort we have to expend if we're going to be self-controlled and living out lives that produce the fruit that good trees produce. If we are going to be good trees, then we have to learn to be self-controlled. It's not just a gift, it's an exercise. So you can have a gift, but until you use the gift, it's worthless. Right? You, you can have a gift, but until you use the gift, it's worth it. Has anyone ever received a gift that you never used? Yeah, how many, and I'm, I, I should ask to raise hands, but it may have ended up in someone else's hands in the church, and it may have been given by some. I was going to ask, how many have re-gifted that gift that you never used? Yeah, we've got some proud people willing to raise their hands. Um, we've all probably received a gift and then never opened it, right? Like we opened it and we see what it is, but then we never use it. If you never open the gift, did you ever reap the benefits of that gift? No, right? Okay, um, so some of the gifts, you know, one of the things that I don't think this was a gift, did we get the, uh, the pancake thing for our wedding? Yeah, we got it for our wedding. It was back in, the, back in the, uh, the early 2000s, and one of the cool infomercials that was on was the perfect pancake, right? And it was just kind of this like frying pan that folded open, and you put the pancake batter in, and then you put it on the stove, and then when it was ready, you know, you flipped it over. But there was a pretty serious and severe uh, design flaw in the perfect pancake that I don't know how they ever sold a single one of these and how we didn't see it before we decided to use it is because there's like a quarter inch gap all the way around between the two, between the lid and the pan. And, you know, pancake batter being batter, you know, one side is cooked and then you try to go to flip it so that you can get the other side perfectly cooked and have your perfect pancake. But what happens when you go to flip it is the uncooked pancake batter flies all over the place, right? That was a pretty worthless gift. We used it and never reaped the benefits of it because it was just horribly designed. But another gift that I received, my, my uh, father-in-law uh, never had a son, and so he, he likes to kind of spoil me with tools. 
um, which I don't have a problem with. It doesn't bother me. I'm not going to complain about getting uh, tools. Yeah, the tie rack, a bunch of a bunch of uh, wasted ties. I have a whole bunch of ties. It says tie rack. I wear t-shirts. Yeah, <laughs> we all wear t-shirts. Who wears ties anymore? But I still have all my ties. I actually sifted through them a while ago, so I'm down to like 20 from 40. <laughs> yeah, uh, but. Uh, my father-in-law likes to spoil me, and I don't have problems with it, with, with getting tools and stuff like that. One year, he got me a, a little you know, table model bandsaw. That's cool. I don't know if you've ever had a bandsaw, but I always wanted a bandsaw. I never used one growing up, never had the experience of, of getting one, but he got me this bandsaw. Uh, the problem was I didn't have anywhere to put it, so you know, I just kind of left it in the box, and I left it in the box, and we lived in Longview at that time, and I left it in the box, and it was in our garage. Actually, our garage got broken into, and I lost thousands of dollars of tools, but that one stayed because it was in the box, and no one wanted to carry it out. So, so that, then we moved to Washougal, and I put it in the shed in our house in Washougal in the very back in the corner because I didn't have anywhere to set it up and use it. So, you know, it just kind of sat there. And finally, when we just moved this last time, now we lived in Washougal for seven years. So after about eight or nine years of having this bandsaw, I finally got it out of the box and started using it. And I don't know if you know this, but a bandsaw can be a very useful tool. There's a lot of good things you can do when you're working with wood when it comes to a bandsaw. You can, you can, it's got a table on it so you can kind of shift the angle and you can cut a, a board at, a, at, a, at an angle as you follow along. You can turn a little bit and you can kind of cut different shapes and patterns and a lot of those things. If you're making table legs, you can get that nice tapered look as of a table leg, you know. A lot of great things you can do with a table saw if you actually take it out of the box and use it. Right? It's amazing, right? I was given this gift of a, t uh, not a table saw, of a bandsaw. I was given this gift of this bandsaw, and it sat in a box for eight years, and I never got to experience using the bandsaw and putting it into use. And the same thing is true when it comes to self-control. We've been given the gift. It's a part of the, of the divine nature we've been called to. God has granted it to us so that we can have this life of godliness that he wants us to live, and he's granted it to us, but we have to actually do the work of taking it out of the box, setting it up, and starting to learn how to use the tool of self-control. We have to get it out of the box if we're ever going to experience the fruit that God wants to grow in our lives if we're gonna reap the benefits of it. But what tends to happen, and like I said, I am just as much to blame as anyone else, what tends to happen, someone texted in another story. I passed gas at the store and blamed it on my kid. He denied it though, not sure if that's church appropriate, but embarrassing for sure. Don't worry, I won't share your name. What happens is we tend to kind of shift the blame off to other people, right? Instead of owning up to our mistakes and, and saying, well, you know what, I dropped the ball on this or on that. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I'm not, I'm not living how I'm supposed to live. That's my fault. I need to own that. What we do, and we live in a culture that really does this, is we find someone else to point the finger at. 
And this is one of the most baffling things to me because, and I've talked about this in the past, is that as long as the blame falls on someone besides you, there's nothing you can do to fix the problem. As long as you're always pointing the finger at someone else, then it's always someone else's fault, it's always someone else's problem to, to fix. I think that's why we do it, because you know, we, we don't want to work on it ourselves, so it's easier, it's less work for me to kind of push the blame off onto this other person and point the finger at this other person or event or history or whatever it was than it is for me to actually put in the effort required to fix the problem in my life. It's like, I like junk food, we've talked about this many, many times, especially, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts with that white cream in the middle. Yeah, it's like, you know, God spoke and, <laughs> and created this divine cream that, that goes in the middle of this perfectly shaped and tasted and proportioned donut. I mean, it's like it's not too much and it's not too little. You know, you're not sick after you eat it. You feel like I've just accomplished something great with my life. And I like to be able to eat junk food as long as it's someone else's fault when I decide to eat too much of it, right? It's like, well, you know, I ate too much junk food, but it's, you know, it's just kind of the way I was raised. You know, I never got to eat junk food as a kid because we couldn't afford it, and so, you know, I just grew up, and I, as an adult, I decided I'm going to have whatever I want to eat, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's my parents' fault for not providing enough junk food to me as a kid, <laughs> Right? It sounds absurd, but you know we do it, right? We all do the same thing when it comes to issues in our life. Or like, you know, um, my brother got my dad's metabolism, and if you saw my dad, he's this skinny little guy. He can eat 70,000 calories in a day and still lose weight. And my brother got that same metabolism, and he was out here this summer, you know, he's eating all day long. and. Just like, I mean, he has like 12 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches a day, and then he eats meals in between all of those, full meals like everyone else eats. It's like, man, I just, I told him, I would love to be able to eat as much food as you can, man. If I ate what you ate, I would be 700 pounds. <laughs> I just, you know, it's, I got my, I got the other metabolism that's in the family. I got the slow metabolism, so, you know, I can eat six calories a day and still put on pounds. It's just, it's, it's, it's my DNA's fault. <laughs> or, you know, we, we can't, we blame our past, right? Well, this happened to me when I was a kid, and because this happened to me when I was a kid, I do these things. And it's not my fault because if this hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't have been exposed to that, and so I wouldn't have this need to kind of react the way I do right now because, you know, that's, that's, that, that's their fault. But as long as the blame falls on someone else besides me for my actions, there's nothing I can do about it. Isn't that a really powerless place to be? Isn't that somewhere it was like, well, that's just hopeless. There's no hope in being in that situation because it's always somebody else's fault. That means it's always somebody else's responsibility. That means I am at their disposal. And if we want to conquer that, we have to kind of right the ship a little bit and say, you know what, this may have happened to me. I may, I may have these genes that are pre, you know, I'm predisposed to do X, Y, Z or, or to live in this way, but but I'm, a, I'm an adult, and now I have, to take, I have to take responsibility for my own 
actions and say, you know what? I want to change. If I'm going to change, then I have to start changing. Right? If I'm going to change, I have to start changing. Robert Anthony, I have no idea who the guy is, but I want to make sure I give him credit for the quote because it's a good quote. So if you go look him up and he's like a Nazi or something, I didn't know that when I read it. I didn't do my research to find out who he was. But he says, when you blame others, you give up your power to change. When you blame others, you give up your power to change. Be thankful for, someone just texted him, be thankful for your metabolism when there's a famine. (laughs) The ones that can add it easily but lose it slow will be the ones who survive. (laughs) Thank you, I appreciate that. Do you really want the ability to change to be in someone else's hands? Well, yeah, actually. It would be easier that way, wouldn't it? If they, could just, if they could just change this and that would change my behavior, that would make it much simpler. If someone else could just go ahead and do that for me, that would be great, right? That would be, that would be awesome. If someone else, you know, I don't, I don't like running. I've never been a runner. I've tried to be a runner on a couple of times in my life. I don't like running. I hate the idea of running. It doesn't make any sense to me. I know some of you in here are runners, but like, unless there is something you're running from, there's no point to be running. <laughs> so I don't like to run, and so, so I don't like this, this idea. I don't mind work. I don't mind physical labor. I don't mind you know, digging ditches and working in the garden and chopping firewood and all that kind of stuff, but I don't like running. It's just, I don't like to do it. So if you could just go ahead and run for me and I reap the benefits of your running for me, that would be great, wouldn't it? But we hear that and we say, that is absurd. <laughs> you all know and I know that you can't go out and run after church and I burn calories. That's not how it works. We need to stop blaming others for the decisions that we've made. Because we are the ones that have to live with the consequences of our choices. I make the choice to do this or to do that. I have to live with the consequences of it. So why would I push blame off onto someone else when it was my fault in the first place? So we have to stop blame shifting if we're going to finally conquer some of the things that have plagued us our entire lives. We have to stop saying, you know what? It's your fault. No, actually, hang on a second. You know, it's my fault. It may have been your fault, it may have started off with, with your hands or with your, with your sin or with your thing, whatever that thing was in the past. You may, you may have started me down this track, but now I'm a grown-up, I'm an adult, and so I'm on this track. If anyone is going to get me off this track, it's going to be through the gift of God and me opening up this gift and starting to put it into practice and use it. So God has given me this gift of self-control, but I actually have to open it up and take it out of the package, set it up, put it on the table, tighten the blade, and start working the gift of self-control. It's on me to do that. It's on us to do that in our lives. I cannot expect this person who messed me up back in the day to come now and fix me in the present. 
What happened to you may have been awful. It may, it may be something that, that none of us should ever go through in our lives, and, and I regret it for you. I, I feel the pain for you. God feels the pain for you for having to go through that, but he didn't want that pain to define you and to mark your life with that brokenness. He wanted you to conquer it and be the overcomer that he died on the cross for you to be. It's what he means for us if we just open the gift. So we need to be people who thank God for the gift and get it out of the box and start using it. I think that's how we become good trees. I think that's how we, we start making the effort to exercise the gift that God has in his divine power already granted to us so that we could live the lives that he's calling us to live. Let's be that kind of people. Let's, let's be that kind of church where, you know what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot of hard work for me to change, but the life that he's called me to is so much better than the life that I'm currently now living, so whatever work it takes for me to get from here to there is worth it because I know I will start to reap the rewards of the godly knife and start to shake the controls of the corrupted life. If I, if I start really saturating my mind with his promises, his precious and very great promises, I may be able to become a partaker of the divine nature and actually escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It doesn't matter whose sinful desire was. The corruption is in the world because of sinful desire. If we're going to escape it, we have to cling to his precious and very great promises and start working and putting in the effort to supplement our faith with virtue and supplement our virtue with knowledge. And now we got to supplement our knowledge with self-control. We have to be self-controlled people. And when we live in a world that would be quicker to blame someone else than to take ownership for it, there's a tremendous opportunity for the light of this changed life, this godly life, to shine brightly. See, in a world where everyone around us is, is pushing the blame off onto someone else for for why they're living this way, if we start saying, you know what, even if this awful stuff happened to me, I am going to be a self-controlled person. I'm not going to allow that to define me. I'm going to allow God's grace to define me. I'm going to look at that cross and I'm going to be driven by the cross of Jesus Christ to make every effort so I'm going to be driven by the, by the cross. When I see the cross, I'm not going to worship the cross because it's just a symbol to remind us of the pain and suffering that Jesus went through when he died for us. But I'm going to look at this cross and I'm going to be reminded that Christ did not stop short. Christ was sinless and he had no reason to die on that cross. Every, everything that happened to Jesus Christ happened because of something someone else did to him. Everything that Jesus endured on the cross was because of the wrong and the sin and the corruption and the brokenness and the fallenness that is in this world because of sinful desire, and yet he did not give up when it came time to pay the price for our sins. 
Instead, our example that we should look forward to, our example that we follow, our example that we cling to, our example that we hold tightly to because nothing else is worth holding on to is the example of Jesus Christ following the call to go and give his very life so that he could pay the price, so that we could have the promises living in us, working themselves out, producing the fruit that will last. Aren't you glad he made every effort on the cross so that we can have the grace? And isn't it worth every effort on our part to work out the gift that's been given to us? Let's stand together. band is going to come. We're going to invite you to come forward to get the elements for communion. We'll take communion together after the song. I want to pray for us as we head into this time. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, a couple of groups I want to pray for. Father, for those who are here with us this morning who have been struggling under the weight of something from their past that seems to have a grip on them, a, a chokehold on their life, something that just has weighed them down. For those who are here who have suffered atrocities that we may not ever know, at the hands of someone who should not have done anything, who should have known better. For those who are here who are, who are still struggling under that and struggling under the, even the weight of their own personal mistakes, the mistakes that they've made in the past but now they just can't seem to break loose from, the mistakes that, that they've just held on to and continued on in the pattern of corruption to this point. For, for those who may be struggling with these Father, I pray in this moment that you would send freedom. I pray that you would release every single one who may be tied to something from their past that's keeping them from experiencing the life of godliness that you have for them. Father, because you are powerful, because you are almighty, because you are holy, because the wind and the waves listen to your voice and they obey because you created the very earth that we walk on. You created us and you formed us in our mother's womb. You are the God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and if we build our lives on the knowledge of God, then we have the opportunity to experience the promises of God. We know that you are that God who is powerful enough to raise and conquer the grave, to conquer death, to conquer hell, to conquer all the fears that we face. You are a God who is more powerful than all of those things that we've ever experienced in our lives. You're a God who is more powerful than any abuse that has happened to us. You are more powerful than any addiction that we've been uh, a part of. You're more powerful than, than any habits and patterns that we're just stuck in. You're more powerful than all of those things. And we ask, knowing that you will give your free gift to us this morning, we ask for freedom from those things that have controlled us and held us captive to the corruption of this world. And we ask, knowing that you will reward 
because of what you have done on the cross, you paid the price we ask believing for freedom this morning. And for all of us, Father, I pray as we leave this place in a few short moments, I pray that you would show us the areas in our life in these next few minutes that we need to work on, the areas where we've not opened the gift yet, where we've just left it sitting in the box waiting for it to be used. Father, show us, reveal that to us, remind us that, that there are things in our life that you want to fix, that you want to correct so that you can reveal more and more of your nature and your character not only to us but through us into the darkest places of this world. And Father, we pray and ask, believing that the gift is there for our taking, knowing that you've given us what we need because you want us to be those who follow in your footsteps. We know that it's there at our disposal. We ask, having the faith to know that we can just reach out and take it and put it into practice, that you will help us along the way to live this life that you've called us to live, that you've given us the gift to live it, that we just need to open it and put it into practice. Father, help us to be people who live lives of truth, who live lives of, according to the promises, who continue to shake the corruption of this sinful, broken, fallen world and put on the divine nature. We become partakers of this divine nature and our lives start to resemble the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, let us be a people where these qualities are not only ours in our possession, but they're increasing in us every single day. And that as you grow these qualities in us, you will lead us on the path that keeps us from being ineffective or unfruitful. You'll lead us toward the path of knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and you will show us what it means to be more than conquerors. We thank you for your conquering spirit alive in us this morning, and we ask believing that you will make us more than conquerors as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to send you out with, with a charge that if the world is going to know Christ, it is going to be through Christ in us. There is nothing we can do as a church, there is nothing I can do as a pastor to, to, woo Christ, or to woo people to me or to woo people into this organization. There are gimmicks we could do, there are things like that. But the real Christ that we hope people will be drawn to is Christ in you and Christ in me. And so as you leave this place in a few short minutes, my prayer, my hope, and my desire is that we will find ourselves living out Christ, shining the light of Christ in the darkest places of this world that we're about to go in, and that the darkness will, the darkness will retreat and the light of Christ will shine and people will be drawn to Christ in us and through us. That is the hope that we have. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of those who are gathered here this morning, I thank you for those who have come and, uh, and given of their time to be a part of this service. I pray that they would leave this place now ready to be the conqueror that you've given them the gift to be, to go out and to do the work of living that life of conquering this corruption. And that as they do that, that the people around them, their friends, their neighbors, their family, their co-workers, everyone would see that it is Christ in them making this difference, that it is Christ in them changing them for your glory, for your purpose, that they would see Christ in every single one of us this week 
and that there would be those who are drawn to Christ in us. God, make us good trees, make us good so that our fruit will be good and let it be fruit that will last for all of eternity, drawing people into your kingdom. And we give our tithes and our offerings to that end, to that purpose. Father, push us and drive us and let us be passionate about making your name known, making your name great to those that we are connected to and attached to here in this community and in our communities beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.